Well, good morning, Living Water. Good to see all of you guys here today. As uh, Lance said, we thank you guys for your generous support that has allowed our youth to go and be a part of that project and uh, visited with several of the students since they've been back and they've talked about how life-changing that was for them to be able to be a part of that. And so we are really grateful for you and your support. Well, good to see everyone here this morning. Aren't you grateful for the rain that we had overnight? I know that our ground outside that's been starving for that rain and opening up its mouth with big old cracks, waiting on it is definitely grateful. And uh, so we were praying for more rain, but we are so grateful for what the Lord has blessed us with today. And he has blessed us with this time to come together, to worship, and to study his word together. So I hope that you're ready to dive into God's word today and see what he has in store for us. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 13 through uh, 21 here in just a moment. This morning we continue in a series of messages looking at the parables of Jesus Christ that we're calling the moral of the story. Just a quick reminder as we've been going through this series that a parable is just very simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus was teaching in parables, uh, giving these uh, earthly stories that people could remember, people could relate to. But it was also so that people that did not want to know the truth would not see the truth through these stories, but the people that were wanting to know the truth could understand the truth. They were also stories that you could leave and you could walk away with and, and think about uh, for a while, and how does that apply to my life, and what do I need to take away from that story? And that's our prayer today, that you will take a look at this parable, and you will be asking God, what does this mean to me? How does this apply to my life today? Uh, today's parable is on the rich fool that, again, is found in Luke chapter 12. I heard a story several years ago about a man who, when he was younger, grew up very, very poor. And as he got a little older in life, he decided, uh, I, I'm not going to be poor like my parents were poor, and I, I want to be wealthy. And he began to work to gain his wealth. He began working at a young age, and, and he would take almost every dime that he made, and he would store it away so that he could build up his wealth. A uh, little while later in life, when he was in his 20s, he met a young lady, a beautiful young lady that he liked, and they started dating. And as they were going out on their dates, uh, he wouldn't spend hardly any money on those dates. And that was okay with her because she was madly in love and she didn't realize he had a big bank account. But he wouldn't spend hardly any money. So they would go to cheap places like Taco Villa, places like that. Uh, my wife and I, when we were dating, we would go to Taco Villa all the time. And it was not because I had money that I was saving up. It's because I had no money. And back in that day, this will age us a little bit, but we could go to Taco Villa and eat for 2 or $3 on a date. And it was a great date. I mean, who doesn't like Taco Villa, right? And so, uh, so we grew up e eating that on our dates. But that's what this man would do. They would go to places like that. He never would spend any money. Well, after they get married, she realizes that he has a fairly large bank account. And she's kind of excited about that. And she thinks, man, we're going to be able to buy a nice house. We're going to be able to have nice cars. When we have kids, they're going to have all the nice toys and, and clothes and all that. 
Well, just the opposite of that, that was true. This man would not let his wife spend any of that money. All she could do was go to the grocery store and buy what was necessary for that time. And when the kids needed clothes, they could only buy the clothes that were necessary. They didn't have the top of the line. Their closets were not full of toys for all the kids, and they didn't get all of the extra stuff. Well, as they continued on in their marriage and the kids were growing, this would bring up some strife in the family, and they had normal family arguments about money. But he would always say, we're not spending that money. We have to save that money. And so the kids grow up, they get older in life, and it's getting towards the end of their life. And they decide, you know, we need to get our affairs in order so that uh, when we die, we can make sure that all of the stuff that we have built up, that it goes to where we want it to go. And so as they're going through their will, the uh, man tells the wife, he said, I'm not leaving any of my money here. Nobody is getting everything that I have worked so hard to build up. And she was like, well, how do you plan on taking it with you? So he came up with this plan. He said, well, when I die, and they place me in the casket. I want you to get all of my money and I want you to bring it and I want you to place it in that casket with me so that it will go with me when I'm gone. And she said, that's strange, but okay. Not long after that, the man dies. So the wife goes down to the funeral director and she tells the funeral director the wishes of her husband. And she said, so I'm here to place all of his money in the casket. Funeral director says, okay, takes her back to where the casket is, and the man's laying in there, and she pulls out a checkbook and writes out a check and places all of his wealth in there with him. Um, now, that's kind of a strange story, isn't it? And I always think about that when I tell that story of uh, it would be very odd if that check came through the bank, right? <laughs> Wait a second. But here's the reality. The things that we build up on this earth are not things that we're going to take with us, right? Um, and the things that we build up are going to remain here for somebody else to fight over, to divide up, however it's going to work out. And the exact same th thing was true with this man. He did not take any of his wealth with him. Uh, heard a story one time where a wealthy man died and somebody asked, how much of it did he take with him? And everybody said, none of it. He left it here. It is all here. So we need to keep that in mind as we go. But here's an interesting thing. Greed makes us do funny things. Greed will actually cause us to do things that people look at us and go, why would you do that? Greed will do funny things with us in our life. And that's really what this story is about. This story is about greed that is found in a man's heart. So look with me, if you would, at chapter 12, beginning in verse 13 of Luke. It says, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now in this story, we're going to pause right there for a moment, but in this story, if you were to look back at the beginning of chapter 12, you would see that Jesus is speaking to a very large crowd. Large crowds of people were following, and it says at the beginning of chapter 12 that there were thousands of people there to hear Jesus teach. 
And there's a reason why all these people uh, were there to hear Jesus teach. And if you were to go to Mark chapter 1, verse 27, Mark gives us an idea of why there were so many people there. And it says this about the teaching of Jesus. It says, Jesus' amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. Jesus' teaching was powerful and amazing, and the crowds were flocking around him to hear what Jesus had to say. So the people are gathered around. They're coming by the thousands to hear what kind of truths Jesus has to share. They were amazed at his teaching, and no one has ever taught like him before. And he would teach these spiritual truths and things that would grip their hearts sometimes and things that would make them back up and question sometimes what he was teaching, but they were amazed at his teaching. And so here's this crowd that is gathered around listening to Jesus teach. And if you read through uh, chapter 12, verses 1 up to uh, 12, where we just started in verse 13, you would see that Jesus is preaching a, a pretty powerful message. And in this message, he's telling people, don't fear the people in this world that can just take your life, but fear God who can take your life and send you to hell because you've rejected him. By the way, not my words, Jesus's words, okay? And so that's the message. And then he goes on from that message and he's letting people know just how much God cares about them. And it's a very powerful message. And right in the middle of this message, there's a man that stands up and says, wait a second, teacher, teacher, I've got a question for you. And I find it very interesting because when you look at his question, it has nothing to do with the message that Jesus has been sharing. But he says, teacher, I've got a question. Can you imagine interrupting the greatest teacher that there's ever been? Preaching a very good message. He's out there preaching, and he jumps up and says, Hey, hey, wait, I got a question for you. And it really wasn't a question. It was really a demand of, here's what I want you to do for me, Jesus. Several years ago when we were in uh, Liberal, we had a uh, family that came in as the church service was getting ready to begin. I see them drive up. looked like they had everything that they owned in their car, and it was a man and a woman and their three kids. And I greeted them at the door and welcomed them and said, come on in, we're glad that you're here. And the lady began to tell me that they were passing through, they were down on their luck, and they needed some assistance. And I said, okay, that's fine. We, we have a way that we assist people. We have a gentleman in our church that takes care of that need. And so come on in. The service is starting. Have a seat. And uh, as soon as the service is over, we'll get with you and we'll, we'll help you guys out. And so they, they come in and they go through the worship time. I get up to preach. I open up God's Word. And as, start as, I, as soon as I start reading the Scripture, she stands up. Now somehow they made it right down to the front, third row back, sitting right in the center. They knew what they were doing. And she stands up and she goes, excuse me, excuse me. And before I could stop her, she says, we've got a need. We're passing through. We're down on our luck. And finally, I was able to stop her and said, hey, we discussed this before, and we will take care of you afterwards. And she sat down and was fine during the service. But I thought, what nerve to stand up and to do that in front of everybody, a whole group of people that you don't even know. But here's what I realized. She had a plan when they came through the doors that day. That was their plan from the beginning. 
that they wanted to get everybody's attention. And when the service was over, before we could get to them to take care of them, uh, people were running up, handing them money. Her plan had worked. But I wondered when I was reading through this story, and I was reminded of that, did this man show up that day with a plan? That he wanted Jesus to meet his need. He didn't want to hear the stories that Jesus was talking about. He didn't want to hear the life-changing stories of Jesus. He wanted to come to Jesus, do what I want you to do. I have an issue. I want you to take care of the issue for me. And I wonder how many in our times in our life are we the same way? We're really not interested in what message God has for us individually. What God wants to speak to our hearts, we want to say, hey God... I've got something I need you to do for me. God, I've got something that I want you to take care of for me. I'm not interested in what you have to say. I'm not interested in you dealing with my heart issues. I'm interested in you dealing with my worldly issues that really at this point don't make a difference at all anyway. And so we see this in the story. And this man stands up and he says, Hey Jesus, I want you to tell my brother to give me more of my father's inheritance. Now here's the way that this worked in that day. Uh, It was already set by the law, it was already set by the culture, that when the father died, that the inheritance would pass on to the sons of the family, the oldest son would get half of the inheritance, and then whatever was left, the other half, would be spread out by how many other brothers that there were. And we don't know how many brothers there were in this family, but we can assume by this story that this man was not the oldest brother because he didn't get the half. The other brother had more, and he felt like he deserved more. And we can also assume that there were other brothers that were going to be sharing this inheritance. But for some reason, this man had it in his mind that I deserve more. But the culture and the law had already decided how it was to be split up. Now let me ask you a question today. How many of you are the oldest in your family, the oldest sibling? Raise your hand. In this culture, it is good to be you, if you're a male, that is, because the females didn't get it. But it was good to be you. Now how many of you are younger than the oldest and you have other siblings? Raise your hand. In this culture, it stinks to be you. Okay? And that's where this man is. He's like, I'm not getting my fair share or what I think is my fair share. But here's the reality of it. How much of it did he really deserve? The answer is none, right? I mean, it would be a blessing to receive that inheritance. But in his mind, I deserve this. And not only do I deserve this, but I deserve more. And teacher, I need you to take care of this for me. Now Jesus responds to him. He says, hey friend. So Jesus isn't being mean to him. But he says, hey friend, I'm not here to take care of that issue. I'm, I'm not the judge over that. That's already been decided. And if something's not fair here, you need to take that uh, to the judges and let them decide. That's not what I'm here for. But then Jesus goes on and he gives a very strong warning. And it's here where we want to begin today. And I want you to notice this. It's our first point today. Notice what Jesus says. He says, beware. Beware. So point number one is beware of always reaching for more. So this man that interrupts Jesus, 
did not have a social issue like he thought he had, but he had a heart issue. So really what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey friend, I'm not here right now to deal with the social issues. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is concerned about all the issues of our life, but I'm not here to deal with the social issue, but I'm here to deal with your heart issue. How many of you realize that when God begins to deal with the heart issue, that sometimes that's painful, right? Sometimes that, that's a little bit hard for us because we don't like dealing with the heart issue, right? Well, we want things to all be our way, the way that we want them, the way that we think they should be. And God says, wait a second, I've got something I want you to see here. I've got something you need to understand, and I'm going to go right for the heart. So beware. Beware that you do not let any kind of greed, any form of greed set into your heart. This man had a greed issue. It was not a social issue. It was a heart issue. This uh, last Friday, I was watching the response of people uh, on the internet, on Facebook and all that, after the Supreme Court's decision on the Roe versus Wade stuff. And I was surprised at a lot of the stuff that I was reading, a lot of the comments that people were saying, and just very hateful stuff that was going on out there. And it was just a reminder to me that in our world today, we have a lot of society issues, a lot of issues that are not going to be fixed by any kind of court decision, by any kind of politician decision. They're not going to be fixed by any kind of new laws coming out. Because it's not a societal issue that we have, it is a heart issue that we have. And until our leaders, until the people that we put in place of leadership began to deal with heart issues, we're never going to fix the societal issues because the societal issues always begin with a heart issue. That's where it starts. And so we sit back and we say, well, if we had a, a different president, and we've had different presidents, we say, well, if, I just, if we had different senators, or if we had different school board members, or if we had different preachers, or if we had different whatever, let me remind you today that until our leaders start seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, we're always going to have these kind of problems because it's a heart problem. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. You don't have a societal problem. You have a heart problem. And I'm not here to deal with that societal problem right now because it's not going to do any good to deal with that until we deal with the heart problem. Now we take that out there and we make it broad for uh, national stuff, but here's the reality. We're not going to fix any of the leadership problems that we have in our country, our, our schools, our churches, anywhere else until each one of us individually begin to deal with our heart problems. We can put it off on everybody else all that we want, but God wants us to address ourselves individually and look at where we're at individually and fix us. And he wants each one of us individually to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all the other things begin to be added unto you, right? So we seek him first. We fix the heart first. We look at the problems of the heart. And that's where Jesus is pointing out this man's fault. He's saying it's not... A societal issue. You've got a heart issue. Our culture, our society, our world around us, our homes, our personal issues are only going to get greater and greater 
until we come to God and we deal with heart issues that each one of us have. And we've all got them, right? In this situation, he's talking to a man that has a greed problem. But I want to ask us today, if we were to go beyond that, what is the heart problem that we have? Now, maybe some of us do have a greed problem today. And by the way, let me remind you that greed here is not always just about money, right? He tells us to deal with all the types of greed in our life. Be, beware of all that. Be careful. Guard your heart from all those things that can creep in to the heart. Because when there's a heart issue, it creates a lot of other issues in your life. So deal with the heart issues. Now we need to understand as we dig into this parable that it is not wrong to work hard. It is not wrong to build up wealth. That is not where the problem is. The problem is when greed sets into the heart. When greed says that I deserve this, I need this, and we begin to place our hope and our faith and everything that we have into that possession that we are going after. Where we begin to say, if I just had a little bit more of this, I would be happy. So here's what this man is saying in this story. If my brother would give me a little bit more of my father's inheritance, then I would be happy. That's what would make me happy. And I would be willing to bet that if the brother did give this other brother more of his father's inheritance, he is still not going to be happy because he has not dealt with the problem, the issues of his heart. And that is same that is true with us. Oh, if I just had a bigger bank account, I would be happy. If I just had a bigger house, I would be happy. If I just had that bigger, better, nicer truck that they just came out with, I would be happy. If I just had this or if I just had that, and here's the problem, we get that, and then we're happy for how long? About that long. And then now we're saying, I need something else. Because we're not dealing with the issues of the heart. We're hoping that these things will give us that peace. And he says, guard your heart. Guard your heart against what? Guard your heart against all kinds of greed. Guard your heart. Be aware of what is going on. And so, to illustrate this, Jesus goes on and he gives this parable. And the parable begins in verse 16. He says, then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have rich relationship with God. This man's barns were full. He was apparently a good farmer. He had a great crop, and yet he was not satisfied. As his barns were overflowing, he says, uh, what am I going to do with all this? Uh, I've got more than what I can store in my barns. I know. I'll go and give it to others who need help. 
No, that's not what he says. No, what I will do is build, tear down these nice barns that I have that's already holding this, and I'm going to build even finer barns. I'm going to build even bigger barns, and I'm going to store this stuff up so that I will be comfortable, so that I will have plenty. I find it amazing how this sounds a lot like us today. We go out and we build bigger houses, and we have all kinds of stuff that we fill those houses up with. And by the way, I'm not judging anybody because I'm as guilty as anyone. I have a nice house with a nice double car garage that I can only fit one car in because I got way too much stuff in that garage. And we build up and we continue to build. Why do we do that? Because we think we just need more stuff in our life, right? If I just had more stuff, I would be comfortable. If I just had more stuff, then life would be better. And we get all this stuff. And here's what really amazes me. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you're blind. But how many storage places do we have all over this country around us? And they're building more. And and they don't just build a few of them. They build hundreds of these things. Why? Because we have stuff that we don't want to get rid of because we like our stuff. And the more stuff we have, the better we feel about ourselves. And so we're going to go rent a storage building. No judgment, please. And we're going to go rent this storage building. I've done that. We're going to rent this storage building. We're going to put stuff in there that we never use, we never look at, we never see. Why? Because I don't want to get rid of my stuff because I like my stuff. (laughs) Sounds like the man in this story, right? Look at what all I've got. Look at what all I have for myself. So what am I going to do? I'm going to build more storage units so I can store more of my stuff so that I will feel good and I will feel comfortable and I will like that. There's some heavenly truths that we see in this story that I want to point out real quick. The first one is this. Sometimes the things that we value are not what God values. This man says that he will build bigger barns to hold all of his stuff. And then notice what he says in verse 19. He said, I will sit back and I will say to myself, my friend, I love that. Anybody talk to yourself besides me? I had one other that would admit it. Thank you. We've got more in this service. This morning, only one other would admit, yeah, I'll talk to myself. I talk to myself. I like talking to myself. And here's how I talk to myself. I say, self, and then I'll look back and go, yeah. And when I have the best conversation with myself, right? And this man is talking to himself, and he says, my friend, my friend. And I find that very interesting because it's like, I'm going to build all this up, and I'm going to store all this, my friend. Look what I'm doing for us, my friend. Oh, my friend, I'm building all this wealth. I've got everything that I need, and I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be able to sit back, and I'm going to be able to enjoy life, my friend. And while he's calling himself my friend, Jesus looks at him and he says, you are a fool. A fool. Now, I got news for you. If Jesus calls you a fool, odds are pretty good that you're a fool, right? If I call you a fool, yeah, yeah, those are just words. But when Jesus calls you a fool, there's something pretty serious that's going on. So Jesus says, fool, you're building up all of this wealth for what? Now, again, don't misunderstand this story. This man was not a fool because he was wealthy. 
He was not a fool at all because he was wealthy. That's not what this is about. He was a fool because he was placing his trust in his wealth. And we can sit back and go, man, how could a guy do that? But how often do we do that? How often do we place our faith, our trust in the things of this world rather than the things of God? The man in this story valued bigger barns when his current barns were more than enough for what he needed. But he wanted to hang on. He wanted to hang on to more and more and more. And let me remind you that it is not the one at the end of his life with the most stuff that wins. As a matter of fact, it's the one at the end of his life with the most stuff that he's getting talked about after he's gone, going, I can't believe he had all this junk. What are we going to do with it? Because he's going to leave it on to someone else. It's not about how much stuff we have when our life is over. But the one at the end of his life that wins is the one that has placed his faith in God and Jesus Christ and not in the things of this world. Because the things of this world are temporary. And they're not going to last forever. But the value that we have in anything that we build up is what we build up in eternal things. And that's what's important. And that's where Jesus was pointing this out. It matters what's in the heart. The second heavenly truth that we see here is our personal savings and wealth is not our source of true peace, comfort, and security. Don't misread this story. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with building up wealth. There's nothing wrong with saving for the future. As a matter of fact, Proverbs uh, chapter 6 talks about this, and it says, uh, uh, you slacker. I love the word slacker. I use it all the time. If you know me, I'm going to call you a slacker at some point. I mean nothing by it. But in the scripture, it does. You slacker. He's saying, don't be lazy. Work hard. And then he goes on to say, he says, watch the ant. How does the ant do it? Have you ever watched how ants work? I mean, they are busy all the time, right? They're going after and they're storing up food and they're taking it into their little ant bed and they're storing it up. They're working hard while they can in the summertime because they know in wintertime they're not going to be able to work. So they need to store up. And Scripture tells us that that's not a bad thing. Be prepared. Do what you want. But listen, don't place all of your faith and hope and trust in that stuff. We do that. In our, in our lives today, don't we? If I had a bigger bank account, I could be comfortable. If my 401k, if it was just a little bit bigger, then I could be comfortable and we began to store up. But here's what we realize, that those things can be taken away at any moment. Those things can vanish right in front of our eyes and we sit back and say, where did it all go? It's when we're placing our faith and trust in that and we think that is our source of true peace, our source of hope, our source of comfort, comfort that we find out later that we were misguided. Because what happens when all of the world around us falls apart? Then where's our peace, where's our hope, and where's our comfort? The wise will work hard while they can, and they will also prepare for when they're not able to work. But I want you to see in verse 19 where the problem is. In this story, in verse 19, this is where the man says to himself, I have enough stored away. Now I will be able to sit back. I'll be able to take it easy. I will be able to eat, drink, and be merry. 
Oh, if, if we were only storing up our barns and getting bigger barns to build up bigger wealth so that one day we can just sit back and life can be all about me. I can sit back and I can enjoy everything. I will be comfortable. I will have no worries. I will have no problems. Guess what? You're going to find out that you still have worries and you still have problems. And Jesus says, you are a fool for thinking that. That everything is in our worldly stuff, that that's where we're going to find peace, comfort, and security. Jesus says tonight, you're going to die, and everything you have is going to be left for someone else. What happens to all the stuff that we build up? Eventually, it will be left for someone else. So, Heavenly truth number two, our personal savings and wealth is not our source of true peace, comfort, and security. And then number three, true and lasting riches are only found in our relationship with God. Here's a little secret for you today. Worldly comfort is counterfeit to heavenly peace. Worldly comfort is counterfeit to heavenly peace. If you are looking for the things of this world to give you comfort and to give you peace, you're you're misguided. And worldly riches are counterfeit to heavenly riches. Worldly peace says that as long as my circumstances are good, I will have peace. But heavenly peace says that when my circumstances are bad, I am really going to be okay because I know that I serve a God that is good. And I serve a God that works all things together for His good for those that love Him according to His purpose and His plan. So whether the world is good or bad, it does not matter. My peace is not going to go away because my peace is found in God and He is working all things together. Worldly peace that says when my savings account is good and my 401 is maxed out, that I will have peace. But heavenly peace says that even if everything in this world is taken away from me, that I'm okay because I have a God who has owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He will take care of my every need according to His riches and glory, not my riches. I have a God who is good. Worldly peace says that if I'm successful, if I do and I say the right things and I behave myself well around other people, that other people will value me and other people will love me. But heavenly peace says that while I was dead and my failures and my sins, while I was a problem, when I was uh, not good at things and I was not treating people the way that I should, that I still had a God who loved me, who gave His one and only Son for me, that I could be restored in my relationship with Him, that He cares for me. You see, there's a difference in worldly peace and heavenly peace. And nothing in this world compares to the heavenly peace. And let me let you in on just another little secret today. And this is a secret that you can't share with anybody, okay? Um, I tell you that because that gets your attention, right? Well, what's he going to say that I can't? Listen to this. You cannot lose the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace. I don't think you got that. So I'm going to Share the secret one more time. Don't tell anybody. You cannot lose the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace. The things of this world will someday all fade away. But it's His peace 
that lasts for all of eternity. And there is nothing that this world can do to you. There's nothing that this world can take from you that can destroy that peace. And that's where Jesus was talking about at the beginning in this chapter. You need to go back and read it where he says, don't worry about those that could take your life. But trust God. Trust in Him. And then the fourth heavenly truth. It is when we are willing to leave the comfortable that we begin to experience the supernatural. Think about the disciples that left everything to follow Jesus. I talked about this a couple weeks ago when the rich man came to Jesus and he said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What kind of works can I do? And if you remember, Jesus told him, said, you know, if you obey all the commands, he said, oh, I've done that. Then go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And the man wasn't willing to do that because he was hanging on to those earthly things. And Peter that's watching this, Peter steps up and says, wait a second, we've given everything to follow you. What's in this for me? Can I tell you what's in it for you? And Peter would, would tell you this now. Here's what's in it for them. They gave up everything to follow Jesus and they began to experience the supernatural. And you think about the disciples that were with Jesus and they were able to see the blind that can now see, the lame that can now walk, those that could not speak that are now speaking, those that uh, could not even do things in life because of the disease that their body had that was healed of that disease that the doctor said you could never be healed of. And now they're able to enjoy life again. And that even went as far that they were able to see people who were so far dead that they were placed in a tomb and that Jesus brought them back to life. They experienced the supernatural. But can I tell you this about the disciples? If they would have hung on to the earthly thing, no, Jesus, I'm not going to follow you. I've got my career. I've got my job. I've got everything over here. I'm building up my wealth for myself that they would have missed out on the supernatural things that Christ was doing. And can I tell you something today? God is still doing a supernatural work in our world today. Sometimes it's hard to see because of all the distractions around us, but God is still at work doing the supernatural. And as long as we're hanging on to those things in our life that we think is going to bring us peace, comfort, and joy, we're going to miss out on the supernatural things that God wants to do in you and through you. That's why Jesus wants to deal with the issues of the heart. And that's why he says this in the last verse. He says that a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not a rich relationship with God. All the things of this world do not matter, but our relationship with God is what does matter. And so what is the moral of the story? Well, the moral of the story is this. True and lasting riches come only through a relationship with God. So today I want to ask, how is your relationship with God. And I remind you of the words of Jesus who said that the only way to have a relationship with the Father is through me being Jesus, through him. And he backed that up with his death, burial, and resurrection that we would know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is when we place our faith and trust in him that we find true comfort, peace, and joy in all the things that we're so busy searching for in this world. It comes through him. And when we surrender our life to him, then that's when we began to see and experience the supernatural. And the first supernatural thing that happens when you surrender your life to Christ is that you do see the dead 
come to life because the Bible says that we are dead in our sins, but it is Christ who gives us life. What are we seeking for in this world? What is our heart looking for? And as I mentioned at the beginning of this, these parables are for us to examine our hearts, to look at our heart and say, God, what do you want me to see through this? God, what do I need to get out of this? How does this apply to my life today? And allow God to work on us. Allow God to speak into our hearts. And then let's be obedient to whatever he tells us today. Let's pray together. As you bow your head and close your eyes this morning, I want you to take just a moment and examine your heart. And just ask God, God, today, what do you want to say to me? God, what do you want me to see through this? God, what what does my response need to be? And in whatever way he leads you, would you just say yes to him today? Allow him to do a work in you. Maybe today you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. And the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart. Would you just say yes to him today? Give your life to him. Most important decision you will ever make. Maybe there's areas that we're hanging on to in our life that's keeping us from experiencing the supernatural that God wants to do in us. Today, would you just release that to him? Say, God, would you take that? And would you become first in my life? God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for your challenge through your word. I thank you also for the conviction that comes through your word, even though sometimes that conviction is not easy. But God, we know that conviction is necessary for our lives to change, to be who you want us to be. So God, I pray that right now in each one of us that your spirit would just be free to move, that your spirit would work in our hearts, your spirit would speak to us, and that we would respond to you as you lead us in our lives. God, help us each to see the truth that you want us to see, that heavenly truth through this earthly story. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.